Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. But His is a free offering of salvation to any and all who look to Him by faith for it, regardless of who they are or what they have done in their lives or or what their status in life really is. Just like Paul will later write in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, from verse 21 to verse 26, Paul writes, Romans 3, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are unclean. <laughs> all of us. All. All means all. All doesn't mean some. All means all. Being justified, he says in verse 24, freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We're all sinners. All are unclean. All are impure. And yet, here Paul says that God is offering salvation to all and on all who believe. Look, I do not know who all of you are. I do not know what your background is or what your background you've come from or what expectations you've lived under. Maybe you've lived under religious expectations from religious and pious men and women of this world, and they've laid that upon you. Maybe as a result of it all, you've even come to see yourself as nothing more than a lowly shepherd, an unclean spiritual outcast whose testimony isn't worth anything. But I can tell you this. I can say it with all certainty. God does not see you this way. God does not see you this way. He came to the lowly and the outcast first so that they would know that the world's religious standards are not his standards. From his perspective, which is the only perspective that really matters... From his perspective, true spirituality isn't based on any of these things, but he bases it on your heart towards him. Whether you're a shepherd or you're a priest, he bases it based on your heart toward him. He comes to the lowliest men and women, those who others look down upon, and he offers you redemption based on the simplicity of believing faith. Believing by faith that Jesus is who he declares himself to be and that you are what God says you are, a sinfully fallen human being in need of what only Jesus Christ can offer to you. Believing by faith that Jesus did what you could not do for yourself by going to the cross of Calvary on your behalf and paying the debt for your sin, a debt that you could not pay. And believing by faith that what he did for you on the cross is absolutely sufficient 
believing by faith that there's nothing more to be added, nothing more to be done to secure your redemption, not by you, not by anyone else on your behalf, just by what Christ alone has done for you. And then looking to him, believing by faith that he rose from the dead, just as the Bible declares he did, and and that he's alive, even now making intercession for you continually before the Father, and believing by faith that he is holding you safely in his hands, finishing the spiritual work in you that you could not have even begun or finish apart from him. This is simplicity of what he requires for you to find redemption and eternal life. And he doesn't care whether you're a shepherd or you're a pastor. He doesn't care. It does not matter to him. It might matter to the world, but it doesn't matter to him. This is what he's looking for. This is the simplicity of what he requires for you to find redemption and eternal life. And he offers even to the lowliest men and women who will receive it regardless of who they are and what their spiritual pedigree might be be. This is Paul rightly declared in Romans 3, 21 and 22. Romans 3, 21, the righteousness of God apart from the law being revealed and being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. That's the simplicity of the gospel. Do you hear any qualifiers in that? of what you must be, uh, of, of what your background must be, not a thing. It says James even declares, speaking about the poor, but we can absolutely apply it because it's the same concept because he's going to talk about the poor. But remember, the poor were looked down on in Jewish culture. They were looked down on even in the Christian culture as it was forming after Jesus departed and the church was being established. It was happening there too because being poor, being destitute was a sign from their view of God's displeasure with a person. They weren't holy enough. They weren't righteous enough. They weren't pure enough or they wouldn't be in that condition. And so the church looked down. But listen what James says in James chapter 2 and verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? (laughs) My beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs? the shepherds. Yeah, you, who think that your background, your life somehow disqualifies you from what God wants to give you. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. The only thing he requires and what he's looking for is for your faith in him, your love of him. He's looking at your heart. It's exactly as this angel declares to these shepherds, because it's true. They could rejoice while the, the, the Levite, the, the Levitical priests and the religious rulers of the day, the Sanhedrin, whoever, the Pharisees might look down on him. He says to them, this angel tells them, good tidings of great joy to all people, all people. By the way, one other important thing to note. Some scholars believe that the flocks, and this is important, some people believe that the the flocks, it may very well be true that the flocks these shepherds were tending were actually the sheep that were owned by the priests and were used as a part of the temple sacrifices. This could mean that these shepherds who were so looked down on were Levites 
that they were actually Levites from the Levitical priestly tribe. And yet they would have still been considered unclean just like any other shepherd because of their inability to keep up with the purification requirements. This, this just goes to show that sometimes that those counted among the lowly, amongst the outcasts, are sometimes those who are actively serving God in ministry. Ministry service does not always make one great in the eyes of the religious world, especially when that ministry concerns caring for the unclean things of this world. Isn't that the, in part, why Jesus was rejected? (laughs) He cared about the unclean things of this world. He ministered to the unclean of this world. And for that, the Pharisees and the other religious leaders looked down their noses at him as being an outcast himself. He was constantly reaching out to the unclean of this world, and that just simply didn't set well with these pious men. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, we'll come to it at another point in one of our studies, but in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 34, Jesus says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus is pointing out the fact that this is how they mock him, how they see him. You're just a sinner like them because you're around them all the time. That's how the shepherds were seen. You're unclean because you're around the unclean. Jesus says, you got this wrong. Those who are wise get it. They know that what I'm doing is the right thing, that that's what I'm called to do. This is the ministry. This is what we're called to do. Look, If you're looked down on as you serve in ways that the religious don't approve of, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're in good company. Just keep doing what Jesus did and don't worry about what others think. Jesus ministered in ways that touched the unclean. And I believe you and I are called to do the same thing. Look on, verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. So as the angel, the angels depart, the shepherds now respond. The angels are going away, but, but there's a response on the part of the shepherds. In fact, I want you to note two aspects of their response. Number one, they come and see. They come and see. And number two, they go and tell. They go and tell. First, they come and see, then they go and tell. Why is that important? Because that's how the gospel is supposed to work. That's what's supposed to happen. You and I first are to respond by coming and checking Jesus out for ourselves. We go and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. At some point, if you're a believer, at some point in your life, somebody made that invitation to you. Come and check this out, what I believe. Look at what the scriptures teach about this Jesus. Come and see who he is. And we did. We went. We saw and we believed. But then we can't stop there because the second part is supposed to have happen. Having seen the reality of Jesus for ourselves, guess what? Our next response is we're to go and tell others. We're to go and tell others. We're to make widely known the saying which was told us concerning him. We go and tell. We come and see, and then we go and tell. 
This will be the pattern throughout the rest of the gospel account of Luke. In fact, it's the account in everywhere that you'll find in the gospels. It, it, but it's beginning right here with these initial inquirers, with these shepherds. And it's to be the pattern for all of us, even yet today. We're to come and see for ourselves who Jesus is and what he's about. And then having seen for ourselves, we're to go and tell others about him. It's the simplicity of how the gospel is designed to work. The going in verse 18. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And now in response to these two responses by the shepherds, we see two responses of the people themselves who they've gone and shared with. Number one, the people who hear the testimony of the shepherds, they marveled. They marveled. The good news about Jesus, which the shepherds go and share with people, stirred up amazement at it all. Now, granted, they, they didn't understand all the full implications just yet, but it began that initial awareness that God would use to open their hearts more fully to Jesus over time. Never underestimate. And, and maybe this will set you free in a little bit in witnessing and sharing your faith. Never underestimate the power of giving a simple testimony about Jesus. Never underestimate the power of a simple testimony about Jesus. And don't be overly concerned if, if people don't understand it all right away. Just share the testimony. Let God work out the details of opening their understanding. Now, I say this because sometimes we are our own worst impediment when it comes to sharing the gospel. We, we overthink it. We, we overcomplicate it. We, we take our own concerns that we don't need to be all that concerned with things which God is not putting on us, responsibilities that he's not at all putting on our shoulders. All God asks us to do is to come and see for ourselves and to, then to go and tell others about what we've seen and the simplicity of what we've seen. It. I guarantee you, these, these shepherds, they're not theologians. They're just going out and saying, we saw this baby. And we saw these miracles, and this is what's happened. And these angels, we've seen these things about him. These things, they, they, they've been foretold. We've been told that they were in the prophecies. Yeah, we know some of them. We don't know them all, but we know some of them. They're just telling people in the simplicity of their understanding about what they've seen. They go and tell. That's all God asks us to do. We're to go and tell. And then let the rest be handled by the Holy Spirit. We, we, no, we don't need to worry even about the fruit. We don't need to worry about what people will necessarily do with what we shared with them. Look, fruit production is God's problem, not yours. You can't produce fruit in people. Sometimes that's part of our problem too. It's not just that we're, we, we overcomplicate what to say, but, but we're so concerned that somehow we're responsible for getting them to commit their lives to Christ. For, for them to come and see physically that we're responsible for getting them there. And we want to, we, we feel like we got to do that. And I don't want to be pushy and I don't know how to do that. And I don't, and we put this responsibility that God has never placed on us. He's never placed that on us. He's never asked that of us. Fruit production is his concern, not ours. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, 
And then the rest of the disciples, they squeezed the fruit out of those that we shared with. No, he didn't say that. He said this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God gave the increase. You, you and I, we're not responsible for the outcome. You and I are simply responsible for sharing what we've seen and what we've come to know personally about Jesus Christ. So just go plant or water as God gives opportunity. Sometimes he'll use you to plant a seed by sharing a testimony. Sometimes it'll be an encouraging word that you'll give that'll be part of the watering. Maybe it will be taking somebody through the scriptures. And I promise you this, if it's that, don't be too concerned because God will give you wisdom in doing it. So many people I've talked to said, I didn't think I could ever share anything about Jesus. I didn't even know some of the scriptures. I didn't think I did until I started sharing with them. And suddenly these scriptures started coming to mind and I started sharing them with people and they professed Christ as a result of it. You know how that happened? It happened because the Holy Spirit gave them that word in that moment. He'll do the same for you. So be faithful. Just go and if you've seen Jesus for yourself, go and share about him. Go plant those seeds very simply, giving testimony. And, and water as a sport, the Spirit gives you opportunity to do that let the increase so to God. Let the increase to God. Take that one off your shelf. You don't have to be responsible for the increase. You don't, are not responsible for what people to choose to do with what you've shared with them. By the way, this is even true when it comes to discipling other Christians, which is also one of our calls, right? We're called to go make disciples as well as part of the Great Commission. But sometimes we feel responsible for the outcome of our discipleship efforts. We want to see people respond to what we're teaching them. And if they're not, we, we, we bring this approach to try to get them to do it. And all, all that does is when we have that kind of expectation, it leads us to impose expectations on people and to try to force their growth. Do not fall into this trap. Do not fall into this trap. As God gives you the opportunity to invest in the lives of other believers, just teach and encourage them. Just teach them and encourage them. But don't push because you feel responsible for their growth. You are not responsible for another person's spiritual growth. You are not responsible. Just invest in them. Just teach them. Just disciple them. And let the Lord, let the Spirit take care of the rest. He's faithful in doing that if their hearts are open to his doing that. That doesn't mean that we don't admonish. It doesn't mean we don't correct. It doesn't mean we don't rebuke at times. But even in doing that, we're simply teaching. Because ultimately, even in doing that, we may still not see the outcomes. We may never see the fruit. Because fruit production is not our job. You know, I, I will tell you honestly... It's the way I've approached things in my ministry calling as a pastor. I can't say I've done it all through the 19 years, but it definitely is my heart today. I stand up here and I share the word with you guys week after week, Sundays, Wednesdays, whenever I have the opportunity. I, I share the word of God with you. I, I share it as, as, as passionately as I can with you. I, I lay a case for why it's important, but at the end of it all, I close my Bible, my notebooks, and I go home. Because fruit production is not my responsibility. I entrust you now into the Lord's care, believing that as your heart is open, he's going to work in you and produce fruit. He may not produce it in my timing and as fast as I want to see it produced, but he'll produce it in his timing and in your life as you're ready. You can take that off your shoulders as well as you deal with people. Second response in this is that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
Mary's reaction was different than the shepherds who, or those who had heard the shepherds. Completely different. She, she simply took it all in. She's watching these things happen. She's meditating over it in her heart. That's literally what it means. She's, she's thinking about it in her heart. She's trying to understand the deep meaning of it all. I am quite sure that Mary was processing all of what was happening. All of the little connections that worked together that led to this very moment in her life. She's looking back now, I'm sure, and seeing, man, Caesar, the census, putting us in motion, Bethlehem, the baby, fulfillment of prophecy, now the shepherds coming, it's all confirming, the angels, all, she, she's got to be processing this, all of it, how it all fit together. But honestly, it had to be really overwhelming to her as well had to be overwhelming. And as she watched all of these events unfold, do not think that she understood it all because clearly she didn't. She didn't understand or comprehend everything. But what she did do is she simply marveled and she tucked away in her heart those things that she was seeing and hearing, things she understood and things she didn't understand. She stored it away waiting for even greater understanding of it all, trusting that God would give it to her at some point. Look, I've said this last week or the week before, it all runs together for me, but I've shared this with you as we've looked at these things that the best thing any of us can do when we're spiritually overwhelmed by the things that we see God doing or the things that we see him doing or we're not sure he's doing, but we just don't fully understand yet, just step back. Step back, take a breath, and prayerfully meditate on it. Store it in your heart. Think through, think through all of it. Think through the implications of what it all means to you and to what God is doing on a grander scale beyond you. But store it up. This quiet reflection, I promise you this, this quiet reflection will produce fruit. But it requires the patience to wait upon the Lord for that greater understanding and answers. And that's, that's the bigger problem. Patience is not in most of our, our makeup as human beings. We want to understand now. We want to see the connections now. We want to see God speak now. We want to understand it all now. We don't just want to be blown away by it. We want to understand it now. But sometimes God just says wait. And waiting implies patience. But as we patiently wait upon him, we can be short. It's going to make clear. He's going to give us understanding of things that we didn't think we could get understanding of. That's what Mary's doing. She's tucking it all away. Finally, in verse 20, then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had heard and seen and it, as it was told them. So having come and seen for themselves and having gone and told others about what they'd seen, we see one more response by the shepherds. One more response. They returned to their duties glorifying and praising God. They return to their duties, glorifying and praising God. Of all of the responses we can have, this is the one response that, that, that's lasting. It should be continual. We, we initially come and we meet Jesus. It is a moment in time when we see and we recognize him for who he is. When that moment happens, though we think back on it, that moment has come and gone. We've placed our faith in him. We've seen him for ourselves. We believed that, that is a moment in time, and then it's finished. Oh, he's not finished with us. We're not finished with him. But that initial coming and seeing is done. 
And then we go and tell others. But that comes in seasons. We go and tell as doors of opportunity are open to us. And when they're closed, we may not be sharing. That happens as the opportunities present themselves. But this is the one thing that we see the shepherds doing that should be continually going on in our lives. We can glorify and praise God continually, continually for all of the things that we have heard and seen. And we should do that continually. Hmm. I tease often that as I drive down the road and I'm singing my heart out to the Lord or just suddenly, no, no, I keep at least one hand on the wheel most of the time. If I don't, I got a knee underneath it, but hands up, just praising the Lord. Sorry, Cindy, don't mean to scare you, but hands up praising the Lord. And I'm sure people think I'm a lunatic and just some old dude that's getting senile. Probably that too. But I know this, it's become a way of life. I just want to praise the Lord. And it's something I can do continually. It can be in my heart and it can be on our lips continually. And it should be. This is the one thing. Everything else, coming and seeing has happened. Going and sharing is taking place as the Lord gives opportunity. But this, praising the Lord, glorifying and praising God for all the things that we've heard and seen, should be continual. Folks, may his praise continually be on our lips. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.